الحمد لله الحمد لله خالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم فمخرج الصبر من الألم وملك التوبة على الندم فنشهره على المصائب كما نشهره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم بشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وصديق تكبيرا الحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا الحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله وصله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ولا تقف ما ليس لك به علم إن السمع والبصر والفؤاد كل أولئك كان عنه مسؤولا ولا تمشي في الأرض مرحا إنك لن تخلق الأرض ولن تبلغ الجبال طولا كل ذلك كان سيئه عند ربك مكروها رب شح صدري ويسر لي أمري وحد العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتوكلوا الحق وتوكلوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين In today's khutbah, I'd like to share with you some thoughts on um, ayahs number 36, maybe even 37 of Surah Al-Isra. This is towards the end of the passage that I've been discussing over the last few weeks in khutbah uh, that Allah gave to Rasul in Surah Al-Isra, almost summarizing the teachings of the previous scriptures. So this is how Ibn Abbas describes a summary of the commandments of the people, uh, of what was given to the people before us. Towards the end of this passage, Allah says, وَلَا تَخْفُ مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ And don't pursue, Qafa actually means to follow in the footsteps of someone. Uh, and so don't follow up or don't get behind what you don't know anything about. If you don't know about something, don't become a follower of it. So, And what this means isn't just, well, if you didn't verify everything yourself, you can't follow it because at some level, knowledge is about trust. At the end of the day, even those who believed in Rasulullah placed a trust in him. And those who learned from the Sahaba placed a trust in them. And those who learn from the Tabi'een place to trust in them. And the greatest of scholars, their students place to trust in their teacher, etc. Right? So at some level, there's trust. You can't sit in a class and every time the teacher opens their mouth, say, where'd you get that from? Where's that from? I don't trust you. Prove it to me. Except it doesn't work that way. But there is a point where you learn enough on your own, where you get to the point where you can make sense of things and verify things and authenticate things where you might even diverge from your teacher, where you might even say, okay, I learned something from my teacher, but now that I know enough to do my own study, or I've, I've gotten past the training wheels to be able to do proper research, 
now I can come to a conclusion that, oh, I don't agree with this portion or that portion because I feel that the truth more lies with something else, right? So what Allah is telling us is something very powerful. There's a balance between, on the one hand, taking knowledge from those that we trust, right? We have, and you, at the end of the day, the relationship between a teacher and a student is a relationship of trust. You don't know any better. You don't, you know, a, a, a child cannot verify the times table with their teacher. The teacher's going to tell them, and they're just going to memorize it, they're just going to learn it. Later on, they can see, oh yeah, that was right. And they can see it for themselves. But there will be a time where they can see it for themselves, right? So if somebody's teaching you tajweed, for example, reciting the Qur'an properly, and they say, this is a gunnah, you say, prove it to me. You can't, you can't go that way until you learn it enough, and then you can go to other teachers or other sources and say, oh my, my goodness, my first teacher, the way he taught me gunnah, maybe there's some adjustments to be made, right? That can happen. So there's a beginning where you place almost entirely a trust in a teacher. But then you get to a point where you can start thinking for yourself. And you can get to the point where you can start asking more intelligent questions. And it is at that point that the, the nature of the relationship between a teacher and a student, it changes. It becomes more a discussion than a one-way street, right? In the beginning, the teacher's holding your hand, walking you through every basic thing, right? But then when the student gets advanced enough, like even for my Arabic students, for example, in the beginning, I have to hold their hand and literally walk them through every basic thing. But then later on, they can say, Osama, I read in this book what you said this. Or I, I you know, researched here, and they're saying this about this principle of grammar, but you're saying this. Can you, where did you get your concept from, etc.? And we can have a debate and a discussion. And in some cases, I can even be corrected and say, you know what, I'm going to revise what I used to think. And the teacher can actually, the student can actually end up teaching the teacher something. Right? This is how knowledge moves forward. And it, this is not just how knowledge moves forward in the learning of our religion, but knowledge in general. I mean science, or the knowledge of history, or the knowledge of architecture, any, any field of knowledge, the only way it moves forward is people learn from those who know more, and then once they learn enough, they start exploring on their own. And then that field is further. Now more exploration has happened, more is learned now. So what we know about medicine today is built on the backs of those from previous generations that knew medicine much less than us, but we wouldn't know what we know if we didn't build it on top of what they had, right? So that's and in the entire, you know, uh, progress, that entire evolution of thought and of knowledge, that's captured so beautifully in these words, don't pursue what you don't have knowledge of, meaning what you, what you know should be based on something to start with. Have some basis and then start. And then you know the limits of what you know. So if, I, if I've learned something, uh, you and I should have no hesitation in saying, as far as what I've learned, this is what I know to be true. As far as what I've learned. And then you don't go beyond that and say, well, I know everything that there is to know about the subject. I know the entire truth of it. Because that means we don't understand the concept of فَوْقَ كُلِّ بِعِلْمٍ عَلِيمٍ Allah describes, it actually occurs in Surah Yusuf, above everyone that, has, that possesses knowledge is someone who knows. Right? Someone who knows. And above all of that is Allah Azza wa Himself. Right? Think of it this way. And not even about learning sciences or a subject, but even learning about a situation. You're looking at something from this, you know, your eyes can only give you this angle. So you saw a car accident from your, you know, across the street, you saw a car accident. But you saw it from your angle. And the camera, the, the streetlight camera, saw it from a different angle. And people on the other side of the street saw it from a completely different angle. Now from your angle, you see that someone did something wrong. 
but you're missing out on the other angles. And from their points of view, maybe it's a completely different scenario. Maybe something else happened that you didn't even take into consideration because you were blinded by it from the limits of your point of view, you understand? So our point of view is actually limited. And the first thing in knowledge is to understand the limits of our point of view. That's, you can't move forward if you don't acknowledge, and I don't acknowledge, there are limits in my point of view. There's only so much that I can know. And if I don't humble myself to that reality, then I will become a know-it-all without knowing much at all. I'll act like, I'll feel like I know everything, I've already got everything figured out, well I haven't gotten anything figured out. It's, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in the next ayah, Allah will talk about arrogance. That's not a shock, is it? Because now, in this ayah, Allah is talking about don't follow things you don't know about, because when you do get in the habit of becoming confident about things that you actually don't authentically know, and you can't even, you, you can't even admit that to yourself. You, you, you start confusing your opinion on something, or your limited perspective on something as the fact, the universal truth, right? It's interesting, like they say, they talk about the universal laws of science and physics, the universal laws of the universe, or the universal truths of the physical universe. The, the physical universe has, if we understand it, if science has been able to understand it, it's less than 20% that we understand the physical universe. If we don't even understand the physical universe, between 4 and 20%, according to some experts, then 80% of it is something not something we don't even know, and yet we call it universal truths of physics, or universal truths. How? We don't have access. We don't have access to be able to say, this applies in all circumstances where we have absolute knowledge. Now, that's the first part of this statement. Don't follow something you don't authentically know, or don't, know, you know, don't become a, you know, a hardline follower of something that you don't know. In other words, even in this deen, and I can say this from some level of experience. I'm no scholar and I, I have no hesitation in saying that. I'm a seeker and a student. And there have been milestones in my own study of the Quran or my own study of trying to understand Arabic, trying to understand the words of our Prophet wasallam. that I'll come across a scholar, I'll come across a discussion, I'll come across a reading that will completely change my view. Like, I thought I understood this, but I didn't. And it's completely, you know, reshaped everything because... I continue to tell myself I need to remain open to newer and better understanding. This is actually even a dua of the Quran. That you know about tomorrow, you should say inshallah, and you should say perhaps my master will guide me to something closer than this when it comes to being upright. So the, the dua is not guide me to the ultimate truth, but actually guide me closer to uprightness. Closer means one more step, because the day after will be one more step. And the day after will be one more step. And nobody will claim I have all of it. Right? So the dua is that we keep progressing towards the truth. Keeping, taking more and more steps towards the truth. And the opposite is what Allah is prohibiting. Don't become people that don't want to know. You just want to follow without knowing. Like, you know, um, in, in the last century, religion was you know, deemed a culprit. Like religion is the reason why societies become oppressive and repressive. Religions suppress knowledge, religions suppress freedom, religions burn down libraries, religions don't tolerate differences of view, etc., etc. So religion was the evildoer, right? And without religion, we saw nuclear war. And we saw the kinds of, we saw a holocaust that had nothing to do with religion, right? But keeping that aside, when it comes to our religion, when it comes to Islam, أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي 
The Prophet is commanded to say, this is my path. I call to Allah with, with insight. With, basically, you can say in simple English, with eyes open. I call to Allah with eyes open. I and whoever follows me. In other words, my followers also have their eyes open. When you have eyes open, means you observe reality. You live in the world of reason. You want to engage the world. You want to explore the world. And you want to speak not on behalf of something you've blinded yourself. I already know what it is. That's it. I don't want to hear anything else. This is why the Quran says very boldly, Hatu burhanakum, bring forward your evidences. What kind of religion is this? Usually, you know, when you're trying to spread a religion, you go to, and you're trying to convert other people to your religion, you should go to the people who know the least about their religion. Go in the villages where they're the least educated about their religion and try to convert them. Right? Because they're not going to give you much resistance. They don't know much else. Right? What does the Qur'an do? It goes after the rabbis, it goes after the priests, it goes after the leaders of the religion in, in Quraysh, among, among others. It's challenging them and saying, open up your books. You know, bring the Torah and read it, Qur'an says. Bring the Torah and read it. What kind of religion is this? Because it's challenging those it gave da'wah to on the basis of knowledge. And it, it, it's inspired an ummah to become people that want to learn and want to learn and want to learn. And every time they learn, when they learn the truth, they want to follow it. They want to, they want to act on it. They want to live by it. I'm sharing this with you because it's the last, it, it happens to be aligned. I didn't intend it this way, but it's the last Friday of Ramadan. And Allah has given us something He didn't give any nations before. He gave us the eternal word of Allah that stays, that cannot be corrupted, that can only be explored more and more. That, that, that can only you know, give more treasures, not less. That's what Allah gave us. I'm reminded of a famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Man arad al-ilma fa'alayhi bil-Qur'an. Whoever, see, whoever has made up their mind to pursue knowledge, then let them commit to the Qur'an. Like in, his, in, his, in this hadith, he considers knowledge and the path to knowledge the word of Allah first. First and foremost. So the question begs itself, Ramadan is coming to an end, and this, this is the month that the Qur'an came down in, which means, and the, Allah describes the coming of the Qur'an, meaning this month, in, not in Ayat al-Baqarah, elsewhere, He describes it as a long, dark night, and then finally the sun rose. You know? كَلَّا وَالْقَمَرُ وَاللَّيْلِ وَالصُّبْحِ Like the night, you know, the moon, and then as it starts getting weaker, meaning the the message of Jesus starting to dwindle, it's been a few centuries, and the night becomes completely dark, and the world is in the darkest time, and then the morning lights, and this is, the, this is one of the greatest events to ever happen, one of the greatest signs of Judgment Day, meaning the coming of the Qur'an, as a warning to all human beings, to, to, to put all human beings in check. So this is the first part of this ayah, don't pursue what you don't have knowledge of, and don't become hardlined, don't become passionate about something you don't know, how, how much of the troubles of the world are created by mobs, angry crowds that hear something, don't know enough to know whether it's true or not, and become overly passionate about it, right? And want to defend it or want to attack it because of what they've simply heard without knowing anymore. How many opinions are formed? How much hatred is created? How many lines are drawn? How many divisions even inside the ummah happen because people follow what they don't actually know? And people become very passionate about something they don't know for sure, but they feel threatened if... And actually, some people are so entrenched in not knowing 
that they warn their family members, don't learn. I've actually heard this shocking thing. It's a common thing. Don't learn Quran. You're not qualified. Don't contemplate Allah's word. Don't think, because you're going to get misguided. You need to go to someone who knows. And you know what? In seeking the legal verdicts, you need to go to someone who knows. But the word of Allah didn't come to scholars. The word of Allah came to Quraysh. The word of Allah was heard by the jinn. The word of Allah was heard by people who had no knowledge of any books before. You, you know, Allah describes them as a people that had, you know, لا يعلمون, the people that have no knowledge. And they were listening to the Qur'an, and they were contemplating the Qur'an. And if you think Arabic is the only condition, and once you know Arabic, you can understand the Qur'an, that's dead wrong. That's just not, that's just not true. But the message of the Qur'an resonated with all of humanity. Start somewhere, and don't let someone discourage you from not learning the word of Allah. And by the way, when you sincerely learn the word of Allah, you'll even learn it with humility, meaning you'll come with questions. You'll say, I don't understand this ayah. I don't understand this word. I don't. And that's when you're going to go to people who know better. So you've been studying, you've been learning Qur'an, tell me about this ayah. What do you understand about this ayah? You're going to read further, you're going to investigate further. That's what Allah wanted out of this book for us. To, for us, to, our minds to be engaged. But I, as, as I come to the, the conclusion of this khutbah, this last part is so powerful, because it's two statements made inside one ayah. First statement was, don't follow what you don't know about. Okay. The second statement is, إِنَّ السَّمْعَ وَالْبَصَرَ وَالْفُؤَادَ كُلُّ أُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ عَنْهُ مَسْؤُولَ No doubt about it, the hearing, the seeing, and the heart. It's an interesting word, and the heart. Each one of them are going to be asked about. كُلُّ أُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ عَنْهُ مَسْؤُولَ Some really remarkable things inside this. First of all, seeing is mentioned before any, or hearing is mentioned before anything else. Hearing first. What does that tell you? That from Allah's divine wisdom, we're learning a hint. When you really want to become a person of knowledge, you have to become what first? A listener. You have to listen carefully. You know what, what it means to be a good listener? Is to let someone finish what they're saying. Is to actually completely absorb. You know what happens sometimes? We want to listen to something to pick at it what we disagree with. We want to listen to something waiting for a chance to jump. We've already got our jump ready. We're just waiting for the opening. We're, that's not listening. That's, that's not how listening works. That's you listening to speak. That's you waiting to attack. That's you waiting to rebuttal because we're already in a defensive position. When, so, when listening happens, what that means is you put your guard down and you want to completely internalize the other's point of view, the teacher's point of view, the book's point of view. Let them say what they're saying. Hear it from the horse's mouth. Hear them out. And then when you've heard them out, then ask your questions, then rebuttal, then maybe you know something that disagrees with what you've heard, right? But the first step is hearing, what you hear. Also, Allah is, in this ayah saying, hearing will be asked about, which means what did we spend on? This gift of hearing was supposed to be used for the pursuit of knowledge, good knowledge. What are we using this gift of hearing for? And then basa, he says, and the seeing. So the hearing and then the seeing, and that's, that's important. Because if you don't listen first, your seeing won't be the same. So you have to listen because you, let me give you a simple example so you can appreciate this. You see, human beings pass judgment quickly based on what they see. If somebody walked by you, they were dressed a certain way, you can't even help it, you would pass a quick judgment. That's how we process things, right? And if you heard them, they might shock you. 
they might absolutely shock you, right? So if, you know, for example, if somebody came up here on the mic, you were expecting me to give a khutbah, and it's like a 10 year old up here, right? Like, what's he gonna do? What is this? And then he starts speaking, and you're in shock, like, wait, what is this? And he has this knowledge that you didn't expect. Why? Because we judge based on what we saw before we judge based on what we heard. Rasulullah they wanted people not to hear him. They were, you know, like Tufayl ibn Amr al-Dawsi, for example, when he came to visit Mecca, they told him, there's this man, his name is Muhammad, you might have known him from before. He's uh, dangerous because he has, he's spitting out some magic that puts families against each other. So we want you to be safe. I want you to plug your ears when you go into Mecca. If you see him, just plug your ears. He saw the Prophet coming. He plugged his ears. And he ran the other way. And halfway through, he's like, I'm the head of my tribe. I'm one of the best poets they have. I shouldn't be afraid of words. So he unplugged his ears and he came back to the Prophet. His first reaction was not based on hearing, his first reaction was based on seeing. Then he unplugged his ears and he went to listen to the Prophet. And he became a Muslim. And then he told the story. Okay, so, you know, the point is hearing first and then our perception, our view will change. If you don't hear someone out, your view will not change. How many times Muslims complain about how we're judged based on our appearance and we're not given a proper ear? But we do the same thing to each other. We do exactly the same thing to each other. So, in the sam'a wal basar, but then came the third component, wal fu'ada. Wal fu'ada, the heart. And the Arabic language in the Quran has two words for the heart it has qalb and it has fu'ad. And the word fu'ad comes from the verb fa'ada, which means to roast. So lahmun fa'id means when a piece of flesh is being openly broiled on a flame, roasted on a flame. The, the heart is called a fu'ad when it's on fire, meaning when it's overwhelmed, when it's excited, when it's full of love, when it's full of hate, when it's full of excitement, when it's full of bravery, when it's some kind of excited emotion, when your, your heart's racing, that's when it's called a fu'ad. In normal circumstances, it's called a qalb. So it's interesting that Allah said, the hearing will be questioned, the seeing will be questioned, and your, your heart on fire is going to get questioned. Why the heart on fire? Why the heart that's excited? Allah Azza wa Jalla has taught us something remarkable beyond knowledge. The heart on fire can also be a reference to our emotions. Emotions that can go wild. Anger that can go wild. Resentment that can go wild. What Allah is telling us is, even if you have knowledge, but you don't put your emotions in check, then you, that knowledge can become useless. Someone could, for example, have, you know, hatred inside of them. Someone could have a bias, like let's just say someone has a bias against men, or someone else has a bias against women. Then they can, even if they have knowledge, they'll use that knowledge to justify their bias. So their heart is actually so inflamed, it's pushing the knowledge in directions that the knowledge doesn't want to go. They're steering the knowledge in the wrong directions because of their fu'ad. The fu'ad can also mean, as, as I wrap up this khutbah, the fu'ad can also mean that you sometimes, you and I, act in ways that are unreasonable because we got emotionally overwhelmed and then say, well, that, that wasn't really me. This is the real me. Right? Two people get into an argument, husband and wife get into an argument, you know, voices are raised or things are thrown or whatever else happens. And then he comes back a couple of hours later and say, hey, it's me. He says, what? Yeah, but that, that wasn't me. This is the real me. That was just fu'ad, you know? That was just, when I get excited, I just, I'm not myself. When I get angry, I'm not myself. 
But my, this is my real self. This is what they use in criminal court now. In some cases, you'll have somebody who shot somebody, right? The police officer shot before asking questions. Or somebody shot a gun or whatever, you know, hit somebody or whatever, or robbed or whatever. And they say, well, at that time, there was a rush of adrenaline to the brain, and there was a chemical reaction taking place in some of his neurons as a result of which this impulsive action happened. And it's because of the high stress situation and these chemicals. It's not him, it's the chemicals. It's, it's not him, it's, it's the fuad. The, the overwhelmed emotions, that's what made him do it. It's not his fault. It's not her fault. It was just that at that time, there's a release of certain hormones, and there's a release of certain chemicals, and there's an overflow, and that's what made me do it. That's the modern scientific way of saying, hey, that wasn't really me, this is me. That's all that is. It's just an alibi to justify your emotionally erratic behavior. What does Allah say? The hearing, the seeing, and the overwhelmed emotional heart will all be questioned. You're not going to get away with, oh, I was really angry at the time, so I wasn't myself. Or I was really depressed at the time, so I wasn't myself. You shouldn't hold that one against me. Or what I said at the time is because I was really, oh, no, everything you and I say, everything you and I do will be questioned. And not one of those things will be justified because of our emotions. This is why we have stories in the Qur'an where people, great people, are put in extremely difficult emotional situations. High stress situations, like Yaqub like Yusuf They're put in extremely stressful situations and they still act within reason because they know their heart will be questioned. You understand? They don't use the alibi, well, I was really angry at the time, that's why I did this, this. No, sabrun jameel. It's not the same. So we're learning, and you can't hide behind the fact that they're prophets and it doesn't apply to us. It's in the Qur'an because you have to learn from it. Those are examples for us to live by, you know. So here in the Sam'a, wal Basara, wal Fu'ad, and finally, the last thing I share with you about this ayah is the word Ula'ika. Ula'ika is what's called a pointer in Arabic. I translated that, uh, the part that I translated was, all of those are meant to be asked about. All of those. The word those was my translation of the word Ula'ika. Ula'ika typically is used for the wil'uqul, meaning it's used for creatures that possess intellect. Like you can say, ula'ika al-muslimun, those Muslims. Okay? Or ula'ika humul mu'minuna haqqa in the Quran, those are the believers. Or ula'ika humul kafirun, or those are the disbelievers. Ula'ika is not used for things. Ula'ika is used for people. But this pointer can sometimes be used to magnify things almost to the level where they're being personified. And why is that important? Because hearing and seeing and the heart have been magnified by the word ula'ika. One way of looking at ula'ika is Allah has made them a big deal. So the ayah began with knowledge and then it ended with three things that Allah has made a very big deal that, he will be asked, that we will all be asked about and those are what we hear, what we see, and then how we control our hearts based on what we hear and what we see. Allah make us of those who really put our ears and our, and our eyes and our hearts in the proper direction. And may Allah steer us away from the direction that makes our fu'ad, you know, our hearts overwhelmed. And then we act in ways that are not pleasing to Allah. And then we make excuses for ourselves. May Allah not make us people of excuses. Well, the human being has pretty good view of himself, even though he makes all kinds of excuses. May Allah not make us a people of excuses. Barakallahu li wa lakum. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على افضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الامين وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد ان اقول اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم في العالمين انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم في العالمين انك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله ان الله يأمر بالعدل والاحسان وايتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله اكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون اقيموا الصلاه ان الصلاه كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا الله اكبر الله اكبر اشهد ان لا اله الا الله اشهد ان محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاه حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاه قد قامت الصلاه الله اكبر الله اكبر لا اله الا الله الله اكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين اياك نعبد واياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين ادعوا الله او ادعوا الرحمن ايما تدعوا فله الاسماء الحسنى فلا تجهر بصلاتك ولا تخافت بها وابتغ بين ذلك سبيلا وقل الحمد لله وقل الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا الله اكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله
فمن كان يرجو لقاء ربه فليعمل عملا صالحا ولا يشرك بعبادة ربه أحدا الله الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله